I knew that I was dying. Something in me said, go ahead, die, sleep, become as them, accept. Then something else in me said, no, save the tiniest bit. It needn't be much, just a spark. A spark can set a whole world on fire. Just a spark. Save it and embrace the void. I find this void quite calming, actually. It's like, this time the Xanax took me. Your sense of self is crumbling and it's taking the void down with it. It's like I'm in a black void, trying to reach the news story. This concept of morality is a very interesting human characteristic. What is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see. Warning, this podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like they're people. Welcome, friends, to episode 83 of Embrace the Void, where we'd rather go gestalt than go galt. I am your host, Aaron, and with me, until it's no longer in his rational self-interest to do so, is my non-binding associate, GW. How you doing, G-dubs? I mean, what would a binding associate be? Uh, you know, uh, like legally binding or like sexually or, I don't binding? Know, something. Oh. Some mm. sort of contract Something's- under the state, the evil, evil state. Something, something binding, something, something complete. Yeah. And I love that you just sail past my gestalt. That gestalt joke yep. works on several levels. I just want, you know, for the tens of people out there who are enjoying that, I appreciate you. You are my people. You can... Um, it just didn't, like, cross my laughing boundary. No, it's okay. It's, it's you know, it's, get a, it? it's a thinker. Get it? Yeah, I get, get, it. You, I get what you did there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give you um, the laughs. You have to earn them. And um, Well, I think someone should give one... A laugh. One should give a laugh. <laughs> one ought to give one a laugh. Man, we are, we are to wound laugh. up today. Um, it's partly because we are doing a a philosopher that people have um, long requested, and I think it's going to be super exciting. Um, but first, I wanted to, of course, of course, check in and see how you're doing down there in sunny Florida. Well, what is doing really, really well right now? Yeah. One would say that... <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm really enjoying. Damn it! I, oh, I was gonna try it's hard, to motherfucker. Keep isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't even do it for a full sentence. Um, you got to go to Twitter to look at the tweet that makes this whole joke make sense. You should use yep. the word "I" in your academic writing. I, I'll explain this for everyone who isn't on Twitter. This is a fact of writing. If you try to avoid using "I," it makes for worse writing. I will fight anyone to the death. I will die on this hill. <laughs> Moving on. Die on this hill. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, things are actually really great down here. Uh, the company has been really awesome to work for. Uh, I didn't realize how much I missed working at a place where, like, I enjoy the people I work with. And I'm not saying that, like, I, I hated the people I worked with. I just mean, like, we joke around, we go out to lunch, and we hang out. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, there's, like, a much more of a camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Where in the last couple of places I've worked at, it's been very much... Like we're arguing and bickering all the time. We just sort of stay alone in our offices. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. It's been really great. I've been like out running. I just went climbing today. Nice. Just like, I don't know. It's like way better. That's cool, dude. It's many much better. Warm. Warmer, I assume. Oh, I'm just excited to sweat again. <laughs> <laughs> Phrasing. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Well, congrats on the new situation. And um super excited to uh, for you to be able to do a bunch of fun things like doing more podcast stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so what about you? You were in North Carolina. Yes, I went to the green zone of North Carolina, the safe triangle, um, where you don't get murdered for being an atheist. Oh, so so it's is it adjacent to the danger zone? Yeah, it's right next to the mm. the danger zone is every other part of North Carolina. Um mm. So, yeah, it was really great. Um, the Triangle Free Thought Society had me down for this talk about 
uh, moral realism without God. So I did my objectivism shtick as pitched towards the um, secular community, uh, which I think does benefit a lot from um, adopting moral realism as a position, but often feels anxious about doing so for several reasons. So hopefully we'll have video of that out shortly and we'll pass that around to folks. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun and we'd be happy to go and chat up other secular groups about various topics that I think are interesting. And hopefully they also think are interesting. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it was fun. It was a really great time. I got to meet some listeners. Uh, hopefully got a few new listeners who are now excited to hear their selves references on here. Um, so, yeah, that's awesome. It was great. Um, so thanks to everyone down there. And I guess with that, we should get to our super exciting philosopher of the week. Yeah. Better know I, a philosopher. I think, therefore, I am. Rene Descartes. Optimism madness. That all well when we miserable. Voltaire. Chicken, Peter. You're just a little chicken. Chee, 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 chee. Not me, Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> I feel like I need to add some, like, uh, uh, Darth Vader music or something here. This one is a pretty epic one. So we are, we are finally tackling one of the great mountains of philosophy, uh, which is Ayn Rand, um, a uh, primarily American philosopher who has had a... Uh, you mispronounced American. American, very American philosopher who has had a very outsized impact, one might argue, on the world. And, and I want to, you know, we're going to try to, I'm going to try to piss off everyone as usual during this episode by both giving her more credit than people usually do, um, while also being very, very clear in the ways in which she was an extremely bad philosopher. Um, so, you know, I think she's very easy to make fun of. A lot of people love Ayn Rand jokes. You know, I think something like 15 to 20 percent of the memes that get posted in Philosophers in Space slash Embrace the Void or Embrace the, or sorry, that get posted yep, in yep. Embrace the yep. Void slash Philosophers in Space uh, is Ayn Rand related, I feel like. Um, so that being said, I think it's important to note that there but for the grace of knowing about moral luck, many of us would could very well end up as Ayn Rand. That like sure. her philosophy is very close to it's sort of like you can see where she's going right and up to the point where she makes a horrible series of errors. Right. Um, she probably turned right at Albuquerque, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she well, also she, Go ahead, go ahead. No, she also just suffered from a, a situation of, I think not having a lot of, I mean, having some background, some education in philosophy, but not having a ton of really great formal training. And as a result, just really misreading some philosophers in a way that like, I'm, I believe that she is smart enough that she could have understood it if maybe she had been taught it better. Um, yeah. But well, should we, should we uh, start where we usually do and just, you know, go through her sort of beginnings. Yeah. And there's lots of good voidiness on this particular front. Um, starting with me trying to produce her, pronounce her original name. So, uh, Ayn, oh, that's not her real name. No, Ayn Rand was born, um, Elisa Zinovendiva. Oh, is she <laughs> Let me Russian? try that again. Uh, Zinovendiva. Uh, sorry. Mm. Is she Russian? Yeah. Uh, Rosenbaum is the last name. Mm. Mm. Uh, that middle one's tricky. Yeah, so Elisa Rosenbaum, uh, born 1905 to Russian Jews in St. Petersburg. Mm. Um, and and again, you know, set and setting is the product is the producer of a lot of philosophy. And so you can understand a lot of Ayn Rand's philosophy by understanding what she went through as a young individual, seeing the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia, seeing what happened with the rise of communism in Russia firsthand. Um, her family, you know, when she was first born, her family was this upwardly mobile Jewish family. Her father was a, a I think, like a dentist or something like that, um, a doctor of some sort. And, uh, you know, they were doing fine basically until, I mean, and again, I should say a lot of the story of Ayn Rand is tricky because there's because she's a controversial figure. There's various points of contention over how true any particular set of claims about her really are, which is going to matter later when we get to her personal life. Um, 
But in this case, right, the this, this story supposedly goes that her family fled to Crimea rather than suffer under the communist rule, that their business was seized, that um, she finished her education in the Crimea, and then they came, tried to come back to Russia where they almost starved to death um, before she eventually was able to uh, immigrate to America. 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 Um, and how old was she when they uh, immigrated here? So she comes over in 1925. So she'd be about 20 at that mm. point. And she doesn't bring her family with her and actually is unable to unable to bring them across as far as I was able to find. And do we know if Paul Ryan actually knows that she's an immigrant? I mean, I'm just, <laughs> you know, asking for a friend. I believe that she's grandfathered in in some kind of way. That is a good oh, okay. question, though. I think one should um, send letters. One should send letters one should. to. Yeah. Uh, well, he doesn't have an office anymore. I don't know where he'd even send it. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, something, maybe just to his gym. Maybe. Um, something interesting, though, to point out, like, she holds a lot of conflicting views, I would say, and also holds a lot of views that come from competing perspectives of the world but one thing that she does hold in common with the communists was that she became an atheist and a rationalist fairly early on back in, in high school before she even comes to america so i i mean I, I think when we're making fun of ayn rand and there are reasons to make fun of ayn rand stupid is not one of the things that should come up i don't think she was dumb right i think that she's got a quick wit and i think that she understood a fair bit of the world despite what she went through and despite getting getting in with the wrong crowds and also having some really wrong ideas, um, but not dumb, right? Wrong, but not dumb, I think is yeah. the way I want to put that. Um, right, so she... Yeah, yeah, I think too often do we try to say that someone is dumb if it's something that, you know, they hold a view that we disagree with. Right. Um, yeah, and I mean, you could get into an argument about, like, you know, if someone were smarter they would necessarily be able to understand the thing that they were wrong about um information well no like you could even like you, you could even say like you know jordan peterson you think he's wrong about most of the things he says but he's not dumb yeah i mean i think right, all, right it's ultimately, like, it's ultimately like we he's could above say hitler, intelligence yeah yeah we could say hitler is a you know fuck face but he was a really good public speaker right sure Sure. And Rand Rand was also, I think, fairly persuasive as an individual. She's there's a lot. There's some good video of her because she was alive up through the 80s. So you can see footage of her interviews of her. And, and I can you can see why she manages to pull together a cult of of like minded individuals. Um, so, so that's why you like her a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. There's huh? there's a cult in the future. Like I'm saying, I am half a step away from being Ayn Rand, right? Like <laughs> in another universe, I end up as Ayn Rand. It's not that far. Yeah, off. Maybe if Atlas shrugged with the other shoulder. Yeah. She would have gone is, the other way. She is my mirror dark universe uh, double. Um, right. Mm. So she comes to America and she loves capitalism. She loves the skyline of New York City. She loves all the enterprise. She goes out to Hollywood and actually becomes a screenwriter because, again, she's she's a writer. She uh, enjoys writing stories. Um, fun fact, which I found, she falls in. She she meets. I don't know how much she was, you know, but she meets at one point um, Cecil B. DeMille um, and ends up as an extra on King of Kings, um, which leads to her having an inn where she can do some screenwriting. And she actually has some moderate success with a couple of um play uh, plays and movies that she writes uh during this time she also gets married to her husband frank o'connor who was an actor a young actor at the time which is again another fact that will prove ironic later in the story mm -hmm. um so yeah so she has the screenwriting success she's doing these sort of things and then she starts to transition into um books essentially she writes first of all she writes this short story called this novella called anthem uh which she wrote during the same time that she was writing one of her most famous texts um anthem is uh, a short novella that is basically harrison bergeron but totally unironically like it's you know remind me what harrison bergeron like is? the radical fear of equality kind of thing 
So oh, like yeah. everyone is made equal in this world. She, she comes up with um, the main features or that individuality as a concept has been eradicated. Everyone uses the term we instead of I, which is really funny now that I think about it after our <laughs> earlier conversation. <laughs> and like, truthfully, I mean, that's, that's not just a serendipitous coincidence because she is a, a paragon of the kind of, detached rationalist thinking that leads to the shitty academic writing that where you get one would think or something rather than saying i believe or you know using that first person right so anyway that's getting getting distracted right but she right so the story is really hugely heavy-handed of you know the main and this is again theme of all of her stories um guy hero uh, with adoring female lover escapes horrible society and profit, right? Question mark profit. <laughs> profit. <laughs> um, so in this in this case, you know, the main character uh, runs away from this the ind- evil communist society into into the natural world where he relearns the concept of I, and then like his girlfriend comes along and they you know they repopulate in an individualist civilization Um, i had to just double check that she didn't write gone with the wind mm, because i was like wait some mm, of this is sounding familiar mm -hmm. yeah she i mean she's a, a strongly conservative voice and it it chose um so like i said the other thing she was writing during this time was fountainhead um, which, along with Atlas Shrugged, are the two main texts that she is famous for. And they're sort of much the same-ish in that, again, they're both stories of a ubermensch-type um, male figure who bucks a, um, com- you know, a, a taker kind of society and um, models the virtue of selfishness and the virtue of um success through one's own individual power and will um what you just said one yeah right <laughs> one zone. well not success through my own obviously <laughs> yeah um yeah. she did also no, write a couple of non-fictions like um there's um a book called the virtue of selfishness which is a collection of essays uh put together by her, uh this this guy named um uh nathaniel brandon who's an important character in a second um so like she's she gets all these things written and they're mostly because she gets mixed responses. Let me put it that way. Right. Academic philosophy, as I think most people are aware, does not take her seriously. Right. She's not considered partly for. I mean, there's, is it is it this sounds like a joke, but, but it's a serious question. Mm-hmm. Is it because she's a woman? Well, a serious question. Yes, I think partly. So yeah. in the sense that we've talked before about how one of the splits in philosophical culture is between the literary philosopher and the analytic non-literary philosopher, right? Where the literary is often associated with the continental, ironically, given that she's very anti-postmodern, but I think because a large amount of her work was done in the form of these literary texts, um, combined with her being wrong, really, really wrong about some things, right, led to her being undervalued as a part of the philosophical canon, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think, you know, there are lots of people we study who are who are wrong about a lot of stuff. And, like, she should be studied as an example of someone who thought a bunch of things that were worth debating, at least, right? So I do think, yeah, yeah. And, and, like, because the literary problem the literary side of things is often associated with female philosophy like iris murdoch and such who who wrote these books and that were supposed to be philosophically laden right i think you're right to say is it partly because she's a woman and and it's true even though there are you know important female philosophers who are doing well during this time period as well so that doesn't mean that like it was fixed right that that was probably still difficult yeah, no, I mean, I'm certain that I'm, I, yeah. I would be fairly certain to say that part of the reason that she was dismissed was because she was a woman, uh, which is yeah. really, really, really ironic because don't you think she held some really, really problematic views about gender roles mm. like this is taken pretty much directly from from the story research. Right. Rand asserted that um the essence, this is a direct quote, the essence of femininity is hero worship, the desire to look up to man 
and that an ideal woman is a man worshiper and an ideal man is the highest symbol of mankind. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I mean, this is what so, I, this is what I mean. Like Ayn Rand is a much more fascinatingly wrong person than most people understand. I feel sure. like, and this is so like one of the reasons. I, yeah. Yeah. So I, I assume that we're going to spend a decent chunk of time on just Atlas Shrugged because that's the biggest thing she's known for. Uh, is there anything that we get from either the fountain or her other work that is worth chatting about first? Or, or do you think, well, yeah. does that sound good? Yeah, well, I've got a quote from the Fountainhead that exemplifies a lot of this. And it's, it's again, the Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged are much the same-ish. The only mm. real difference is that Atlas Shrugged brings in this idea of going Galt, where Galt, John Galt, is this character who's the, you know, epitome of the super rational, free individual who... By going Galt, we mean walks away from Taker society and creates his own pure rationalist society. So again, there's the exemplar of this male idea that she was really very clearly obsessed with. Um, but I want to get through a little bit more of her personal history first. Okay. Um, and I also want to, and then I want to talk through a little bit of her theory, and we can yeah, we can look at some examples from the texts. Um, because I also want to point out that like she held a whole cluster of really conservative views that in a, in a sense really conflicted with her ethos right so for example um she did support abortion rights and she was very anti-religious so those are the non on the on the on the like being consistent side of things to her death she was very anti-religious um she opposed the vietnam war and the military draft uh, but she considered draft dodgers to be bums um she supported israel that's good to know yeah we got to keep that note in our heads right uh she supported israel in the yom kippur war and this is important because she specifically saw it as a war of civilized men against savages and she pre- she takes some pretty let's just be honest racist views of a lot of um non-european societies um so again, like where she said, she said that European colonists had the right to develop land taken from American Indians. I've got some good direct quotes on that in a little bit. Um, she said that homosexuality was immoral and disgusting, but should not be illegal. Um, so that's how she split that one. And then she supported Barry Goldwater, who was very famous for opposing the Civil Rights Amendment. And she supported him because she believed in civil rights laws in the public in the public sphere right within government laws but not as applied to private property it's sort of the classic mm. idea of you as a business owner have the right to like deny service to whoever you want um as long have as people slavery are, just do the whole shebang <laughs> as long just as it's, have yeah. you have have a bunch of like you know what was the thing the in the pizza uh, in the basement of the pizza, pizza place yeah pizza gate yeah what was it that hillary supposedly was doing down oh, there? oh pedophilia ring right right yeah yeah. and and I, I, mean, I was almost funny there no you were totally right and this is as good a time as any to point out that like she rejected the idea that her egoistic worldview was exploitative she was against the idea of exploiting people except as i said she was super okay with uh taking the land from native americans for example she the, the quote i mentioned was um having failed for millennia to create a heroically productive capitalist society native americans deserve to be stripped of their land right oh my god so really classic style kind of white supremacist you know, just very classy she's really classy right um and this is uh, the other thing i want to bring up um about her personally like i said she at this point she comes to i think new york but anyway she forms a group called the objectivists um organized by this follower of hers named um nathaniel brandon amongst the members of this group are alan greenspan who's very important because he's Mm. one of the individuals who was central to the 2008 economic collapse um and when asked what happened in that collapse he is quoted as saying we assumed wrongly that people would act in their own self-interests is very important right he got this idea from ayn rand's view of human beings as psychological egoists in a sense um but the other fun thing about this group is that i'm oh, sorry do you want to say something no no okay yeah the other fun thing about this group is again it turns into 
probably kind of a cult, let's be honest. And I'm, I say that as a cult leader myself. Um, she... I mean, what was her cult game like? I mean, yeah, well, I mean let, me, let me explain. Do, do you, are, you, are you like, yeah, her cult game was like on point or is it a little off point? Well, I would say her cult game was decent. Did she have funny hats? If you're measuring in terms of how many people you tricked into sleeping with you, it was a pretty effective cult from what I understand. Oh, I mean, for me, I measure it in how big your hats are. Um, she did have some decent hat game. I'm not going to lie. Um, okay. but anyway, this guy, um, Nathaniel Brandon, right. Um, she had this, uh, uh, Ayn Rand had this view, uh, having to do with her pure rationalist egoist view that you should only be sexual partners with your intellectual equals, right? It was mm. immoral to sleep with someone who was below your intellectual status, and she used this as an argument to f basically coerce people like Nathaniel Brandon into sexual relationships. From what I gather, he was substantially younger at the time. And like she, you know, I don't want to disparage her too much, but like she was uh, attractive when she was younger. But I think years and years and years of being an incredibly heavy smoker had an effect. Um, and nevertheless, right, she, I think... This is, again, where it gets controversial about how much of the story is true. Nathaniel Brandon later leaves the group. because Actually, she's, he's kicked out because she finds out, again, ironic twist. He's having an affair with a young actress. She freaks out because he's, you know, besmirching his honor by dating someone dumber than him or something. Kicks them all out of the group. Um, he then repents a lot of what he's done within the group, apologizes for promoting her as an intellectual and claiming that she was smarter than she was. Um, and like, it, it, you know, it's this whole messy situation, uh, essentially. But I think... You know, I don't I don't know for de in perfect detail how much all of that is true. It's often, I think, held up as indicative of what happens when you adopt these kind of worldview in terms of what your relationships end up looking like. Um, but again, small sample size. Right. I don't want to not going to, you know, condemn a whole theory on the basis of its founding believer. Um, so then, right, the last final notes for her life would be. uh she had surgery for lung cancer again when she was older because she'd smoked chain smoked her entire life uh and ends up on and does in fact end up on social security and medicare um ah! so <laughs> yeah i'm sorry i shouldn't laugh at that but i i am Voidy. um and again i'm not going to argue that she's wrong because she ended up doing the opposite of what she said she should do i'm going to argue that she's wrong because she was wrong about a lot of stuff um, and also that she's just not a good writer, I think, separate from the quality of her philosophy. Like, her writing is really, really hard. Like, her personality... What do you mean? In what way? It's very, very turgid and very, very polemic. So, in the sense that it's the most heavy-handed, some of the most heavy-handed writing uh, you've ever seen. I actually want to... I'll tell you the two stories of my... On um, my, my double blind experiences with Ayn Rand. Right. So the first one was I was in high school at the time uh, and a good friend of mine brings me a book, which I now know, I, I think, was one of Nathaniel Brandon's Institute of Objectivists cult studies. One of the books like, you know, that they send out to people to hand out, essentially. Um, and he hands this to me like, I have no idea what's going on. Can you read this and tell me what you think? And I read it and I'm like, I don't know what this is, but it's awful. And it was it was a basic accounting of the uh, the it was, it was some version of um, uh, the virtue of selfishness. This this essay that she wrote of like, you know, it, no, it's really great to be totally selfish and egoic and self-interested. Um, and I was like, I have no idea who this is or what this is, but it's terrible. And I later found out that it was Ayn Rand. Um, and then later in college in um what's called the washington society at uva which is a extemporaneous speaking and debate kind of society i listened to someone read a monologue and i spent the 10 minutes of the monologue just thinking this is again some of the dumbest worst it's a long monologue. Oh, it's a, i mean again polemicist right i think john galt's monologue at the end of atlas shrugged and they all give monologues is something like 30 pages long and I think it's like three hours if you read it all out loud. Jeez. So the in, in Fountainhead, which it turns out was the thing that this person was reading to me that I had never heard before that was Ayn Rand and is terrible. 
there's this guy that gives a like courtroom you know mr smith goes to washington kind of speech at the end um so i was thinking maybe i could read a, a piece of that speech to give you a sense of both her philosophy and her um her horrible writing and then we can talk about her philosophy some yeah yeah do it so here we go i just a paragraph from like in the middle of the speech um the common good of a collective, a race, a class, a state, was the claim and justification of every tyranny ever established over men. Every major horror of history was committed in the name of an altruistic motive. Has any act of selfishness ever equaled the carnage perpetrated by the disciples of altruism? Does the fault lie in men's hypocrisy or in the nature of the principle? The most dreadful butchers were the most sincere. They believed in the perfect society, reached through the guillotine and the firing squad. Nobody questioned their right to murder since they were murdering for an altruistic purpose. It was accepted that man must be sacrificed for other men. Actors change, but the course of the tragedy remains the same. It just goes on and on like that, right? So it sounds like... Let me let me try to dissect it and tell me how I'm doing. Mm -hmm. It sounds like she's making an argument of like, uh, you know, a single person can't achieve, can't move a mountain, right? That it takes a larger group in order to do that. And so this a single person acting with their own self-interest couldn't possibly do something horrific. And that only when they have the sort of weight of uh, a collective altruistic idea that that's when destructive things happen. And I think there's there's a ring of truth to that, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? You know, mm -hmm. you can take, you know, any massive uh, genocide and probably say that it's based in that in some way. Uh, but it doesn't take into account, like, the person who is pretending to do that, but is just a blatant narcissist mm -hmm. who is doing things for their own self-interest. Yeah, and I think you're right. Again, to give Rand her due... Right. What she is pushing back on is the excesses of state based justification for immoral means. And there were ample evidence of that during her lifetime. And so, I mean, I think it's understandable why she has that pushback. Um, and it's funny because if you also think about the quote you said earlier mm -hmm. about the Native Americans, right, mm -hmm. you could apply what she is saying to them as well that, like, well, she's doing the same thing she says is bad in terms of how the Native Americans should be treated. Yeah, it's not at right? all clear how she can square, right, the treatment of the Native Americans with this view about radical. Like, like, here's the problem. She uses the word selfishness badly, right? One, one um, I found this a libertarian feminist named Sharon Presley says she describes it as perversely idiosyncratic. Because Rand doesn't think of selfish as the classic kind of, it's okay for me to exploit other people. Selfish, like I said, she really thinks that like the selfish person is, like you said, the one is, is the one who can't do everything by themselves, but also won't submit to a communal justification for doing things. They come together and work together via their own free rational decision and self-interest. Right. And if they feel like they are not being treated rationally, it is it is their moral obligation to violate the contract. So the, at the end of from what I can tell of Fountainhead, right, it ends with this architect destroying this building that he had built for low income housing, basically, or something So like that was going to be used for low income housing, essentially. And here's how he concludes his court claim. He says, um, it is said that I have destroyed the homes of the destitute. It is forgotten that but for me, the destitute could not have had this particular home. Those who were concerned with the poor had to come to me, who had never been concerned, in order to help the poor. It is believed that the poverty of the future tenants gave them the right to my work, that their need constituted a claim on my life that it was my duty to contribute anything demanded of me. This is the second-handers credo, now swallowing the world. And second-handers was her version of takers in this particular case. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, you can understand, again, where she's coming from. Um, I think her philosophy is interesting. I think it ultimately goes wrong. But I also just think that her writing is 
really, really unsubtle. Um, yeah. And, and it also like isn't fair in that it doesn't look at it from all angles, right? Because mm-hmm. you could even make the argument that there are some good things that are only done when a large collective does it for for an altruistic reason, right? Like you could look at, I don't know, the ACLU, for instance, right, as an organization that has this altruistic idea of the Constitution and they set out to do things. Some you could probably argue that maybe they go too far, but in other ways you probably say that maybe they don't go far enough. Or, but it, they at least do good, ultimately speaking, right? Yeah. And I mean, she wants to reject that, I think. She wants to say that any good that, like, she's an anti-consequentialist in this kind of way. She's willing to mm-hmm. sacrifice what might be ideal consequences for the sake of, she's, she's what we call a perfectionist, and not in the sense of like, you know, uh, you know, I need everything to be exactly perfect, but um, it, within, vir- within, like virtue theory especially but like just the ethical theories a perfectionist is someone who believes that we should put a high value on high levels of achievement like extreme levels of accomplishment so like it's more important to get one mona lisa than to get a hundred dime store paintings essentially Right. And those dime store paintings could never add up to the value of that one brilliant work of art. And so that like she's really obsessed with heroes and, and hero worship. There's a really lovely my, my favorite um, critique of Ayn Rand is this John Rogers quote. There are two novels that can change a bookish 14 year old life. The Lord of the Rings and Atlas Shrugged. one is a childish (laughs) fantasy that often engenders a lifelong obsession with its unbelievable heroes leading to an emotionally stunted socially crippled adulthood unable to deal with the real world the other of course involves orcs (laughs) that's really that's that's all you need it's all you'll ever need pretty funny um yeah and so with that i think we should maybe talk about her philosophy some more um yeah right so here i found a good thesis statement basically for randian version right randian style egoism so she says i am not primarily an advocate of capitalism but of egoism and i am not primarily an advocate of egoism but of reason if one recognizes the supremacy of reason and applies it consistently all the rest follows okay so her first principle her original principle is reality is objective and this is another one of those points at which you know we can all be very happy that we are not ayn rand right but she this is the reason that her view is called objectivism and it's the reason that i don't call my view objectivism uh because she ruined it um (laughs) she wanted to actually call her view existentialism she said but she couldn't do that because someone had already taken that term I think the correct terminology for Rand would be an existential egoist because she really is a kind of existentialist. She thinks that reality is objective and you just have to accept that brute fact of reality. And the only way you gain knowledge of that brute fact of reality is through epistemology in the form of reason and only reason. She thinks that emotions are not a part of epistemology. And once you apply pure reason, you will realize that self-interest is the highest moral pursuit and what she means here is a kind of flourishing to be honest right she cites aristotle as one of her as, as one of the few philosophers who she respects and i think it's hilarious because her and aristotle would disagree on a lot of stuff but i think what she likes is his view a his sort of greek view of the heroic supreme individual the virtuous flourishing individual who has achieved all of this uh, accomplishment um and that she also takes from him you know this idea that we should focus on the building of good character of individuals and that we do that by not burdening those individuals with a society that drags them down essentially um so that's why i say she's both aristotelian and existentialist she really strongly pushes back on the kind of essentialist views that we talked about back when we were looking at like Simone de Beauvoir, right? Where um, 
your your meaning, your purpose doesn't come from the outside in. It doesn't come from the state or God or anything. She's an atheist, right? She she hates all these kind of status views. She thinks that purpose comes from the inside out, from your choices as a pure rational individual. Um, which is also why it's super funny that she hates Kant. Um, she super doesn't like Kant. Um, and I think part of the reason she doesn't like Kant is because she just misreads Kant. Like she just deeply, deeply misreads Kant. And you can tell because her main argument against Kant is that she believes that Kant takes rationality out of philosophy, um, which is if you read any of Kant, one of the most absurd things you could ever possibly say about Kant, right? <laughs> Kant was the most reason obsessed philosopher possibly in all of human history. He was totally fixated on rationality. He wanted all of everything, all of morality, all of metaphysics to be purely rationally based. Um, so well, see, I think she gets that wrong. He was a utilitarian, right? Uh, the opposite, the ontologist. The onto right. Right. It was one of the two. I couldn't remember which. And he he's become, he's in, you know, and I remember our friend Hume, right back when we did better mm -hmm. know Hume. Hume was the big sentimentalist. He thinks that morality is based on habit and passion. Kant freaks out in response to reading that. He has and an emotional response, you would say? Really, really, yeah. Really does have an emotional response and spends a long time writing a purely rationalist account of attempting at writing doing ethics basically yeah. um in, in defense of uh, you know in pushing back on that view so could you give me the like you know uh cliff notes on atlas shrugged like what is that all about yeah so i mean this is where you get her the sort of purest distillation of her like makers versus takers kind of worldview that it's it, the story is you've got this great industrialist who wants to build railroads and like the railroads symbolize the you know the pure power of american capitalist industry um but they're the government's trying to force him to use crappy you know communist metal instead of his pure, communist pure metal. individualist metal and so <laughs> i mean i don't remember exactly how it goes but it's something involving like really stupid ideas about special metal um, and then there's an accident or something and in the background of all of this is the story of jonathan galt who's this you know mysterious figure that the main character is trying to find and, and figure out what's going on and what turns out is that galt has this alternate civilization going hiding behind it. it's basically wakanda it's like um rich white rationalist wakanda it's hiding <laughs> behind it in a, um, a field and like they have a bunch of advanced technology because they're not held down by the you know consumers all around them demanding you know their excess uh brilliance or whatever it's it's <laughs> really really masturbatory like deeply masturbatory there's a movie of it it's like yeah. several parts long and no one should ever yeah. watch it it's three parts i've seen part one yeah and i believe on and rotten tomatoes like, it has a negative rating uh <laughs> it's it's the only movie where every actor changes every movie <laughs> no no actor makes it through all of those movies i believe um but all that being said, all that hilarious being said, like she is the proto intellectual dark Weber, like e e down to this hatred of Kant. Like, I think the reason I mean, like part of the reason she does the other reason she doesn't like Kant is that in her understanding, she thinks that Kant is saying and this gets a little into metaphysical weeds, right? Kant distinguishes between the world as we experience it, the phenomenon and the world as it is in itself, the noumena. And he says that we can only have at best very partial indirect knowledge of things as they are in themselves because of everything being mitigated via our rational categories, essentially. She takes this to mean that he says that there's no way to have knowledge of the objective world, right? Which is very, very wrong. But it's also, I think, the same mistake that a lot of intellectual dark webbers make when they think that kant is the father of postmodernism that he's one of the original sinners behind this idea that because all he was really doing was trying to explain how our knowledge comes to us in a mitigated kind of way 
and they take that to mean and therefore there is no knowledge because other postmodernists went on to say and this means that we are very skeptical of how much pure objective knowledge we can have yeah right does that make some sense yeah yeah so it's i mean as we're starting to build all these different we're learning about all these different philosophers i want to be trying you know even though it means a lot of red string style talking where i'm just running (laughs) between philosophers with strings i hope that it's at least starting you can see how the past few hundred years of of philosophy starts to maybe take a little bit of shape um but like you know going back to alice shrugged because you asked about it right another big idea that she was fixated on was the split between businessmen and intellectuals she thought that like businessmen represented the pure aristotelian ideal and that they used science they took pure objective knowledge and applied it to improve everyone's lives through industry whereas intellectuals she which which, like goes against her own philosophy right because in her worldview it would be that they're not doing that to improve like society they're doing it to improve their own lives for a purely like selfish reason yes and uh, there's and, and there, the collateral damage is that oh other people around me happen to benefit from it yeah and, and if you pushed her on i think she would say well they should do this whether or not it actually does produce the best outcomes for everyone overall but yeah. like she also i does think I, I think she believes that a society where everyone follows these principles everyone would be better off yeah right? except then you look at like all these industries like i don't know destroying the fucking planet yeah, I mean, again, go back to Alan sorry, Greenspan, sorry. right? <laughs> Alan Greenspan down. thought that we were going to act in our own self-interest. There but... are just all of these exits. You know, like some really busy cities, they'll yeah. have, you know, exit 48, exit 49, but then real busy cities, it'll be like exit 49A, exit 49B. Exit, like, we're in Z right now. Yep, yep. No, I mean, there there are a lot of problems here. Um, she's not right about the way that humans seems to function psychologically in the sense that we're not rational egoists she may be right that we are in some sense often psychological egoists but we're not very rational about it um and like you know so she just gets that that side of things i think very wrong and like you like i've split you know explained she gets a lot of other sort of i think moral claims wrong as a result of all of this but you can understand why a lot of this would be very appealing to rationalist style modern libertarians so for example libertarians get the idea of non-aggression packs essentially from ayn rand's kind of views about you know no one should engage in violence against anyone else right she's really not a mad max style anarchist she's very much a capitalist she believes that there needs to be organization and hierarchy and structure. She just thinks that it should be like a pure meritocratic kind of structure. Well, it's and it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of Republicans who really like Ayn Rand. And it seems like that they like her because of Atlas Shrugged specifically and because of the idea of like this heroic worship of industry of, of the businessman and that it's purely just that cursory knowledge of it, uh, of Atlas shrug that that's what it is. Like, is there more to it that I just don't know that I'm not getting? Cause it, that, that's what it seems like to me in the past, like talking mm-hmm. with, with other Republicans and libertarians. Yeah. I mean, I do think that is part of it that again, she is a masturbatory hero worshiping individual when it comes to those kinds of people right she really does lay it on thick in presenting those people as the peak of society so you can imagine why they would really like her um the other part though i think is you know this idea that um you know she really does exemplify why the free market they think should work that like it's not just a big con game for the businessman to get rich not a cunt game a cunt game yes it's not just a cunt game right (laughs) uh it's good uh we we were we were gone so long without a cunt cunt joke yeah Uh, well i felt that was a really good one right it just no that was a solid one right um so like so here's the other thing i will bring into this discussion for her to her credit right so there is a legitimate concern within ethics one that I haven't talked a lot about yet on the show, but is is worth discussing, which is 
there's a fear that if ethics separates from self-interest, human beings will pick self-interest and that there's no argument to prevent them from picking self-interest. So folks, a lot of folks who back Rand would say, if you really want a system that doesn't buy in, you know, like if you really want a system that isn't going to collapse, you should base your ethics on a, a form of self-interest. And here's a version that we think will get you mostly pretty good results, right? So the idea, and this, this goes back to um, Glaucon and the Ring of Gyges, the invisibility ring question of like, uh, you know, do we really think that a person would still do all the right things if they became invisible essentially right or are they just naturally going to tend towards self-interest in those kind of situations yeah and and it also like doesn't uh nod anything towards that uh christian idea of like i i mean it's not purely christian but that eye for an eye kind of a thing of mm -hmm. um uh or not eye for an eye but like do do unto those as you would like to be done unto you right the idea of like acting in self-interest in terms of like well you wouldn't like it if someone walked up to you and stabbed you in the face so like you shouldn't walk around and stab other people in the face right which which is ultimately a selfish mm -hmm. philosophy but like right. also has this like benefit for everyone else around you right yeah and what i think she would say is if, if someone is of value to you as another rational individual you should definitely not stab them in the face Right. If they're and if a Native they American you, <laughs> and if they match you intellectually, you should bang them. Right. But if they're a Native American, you should probably stab them in the face and take their land. Yes. Um, right. So um, before we run out of time here, I want to strongly recommend for anyone who's really interested in Rand, but wants to get it in a um, aesthetically pleasing form instead of the horrible books that she wrote, you should go play the original Bioshock. The original Bioshock is the best version of Rand gone wrong that there is. It takes place in a society where individuals supposedly went galt, and you see what happens as a result of them going galt. The, the antagonist of the story, quote-unquote, is named Andrew Ryan, for <laughs> a pretty obvious reason. Um, and, like, it is festoon with great... Uh, Randis style social commentary. The the reoccurring quote throughout the world is "No country, no gods, only men," and that that really is Rand's view, right? Yeah, men reminds, reminds me of that movie, "No Country for Good Men." Right, "No Country for Good Men." Yeah, um, yeah. So well, you know, the game is a little bit outdated in terms of play style, but it's really, really worth it, I think. And it's a beautiful, beautiful game. Just to make sure we're doing our due diligence, right? Is there yeah. anything? that we haven't talked about that is uh, philosophically sound or, or does she have any ideas that you would agree with? Um, I mean, like, like I said, in the sense that she's very proto intellectual dark web, her and I diverge pretty heavily. I disagree that, I mean, her and I agree that reality is objective. We disagree that rationality is the pure source of knowledge. We disagree that self-interest is the sole foundation of ethics. Um, some of her views lead to at least some mild socially progressive policies. But for the most part, she really did still tend conservative on a lot of that stuff. Her and I agree about God not existing. I mean... Like, and I think that's the reason that... And it sounds also like on abortion. Yeah, right. So there's some basic things like that. But again, we very, very strongly diverge on gender roles. Um, and she had like some really problematic views about homosexuality. Um, you know, she was, I think, just... You know, I, I don't want to psychologize, psychologize too much, but maybe she was damaged by living under communist rule. And like, it's a testament to the terribleness of communist rule that she held to this position so strongly yeah not all communist rule don't don't at me <laughs> i'm not <laughs> saying that everyone is stalin i'm just saying she sounds like she might have had a bad time <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so i don't i don't know if there's anything else that i would really point to like i think when her and i 100 disagree on moral luck and that's where a lot of the issues come up hmm. When did she pass away? Uh, 82. 
Uh, one other thing that I will mention that I haven't gotten to bring in here is that she is often associated with Nietzsche as well. Um, though she didn't identify with Nietzsche. Uh, I, th- I can see why people make the comparison. They're the opposite in terms of writing. Nietzsche is much more short to the point kind of in a lot of, a lot of the ways um, that Rand just meanders in circles forever. Um, but they both hold a kind of materialist anti-realist view of morality and as a result you know they they both hold these very ubermenchy kind of views of what the supreme being the supreme man is like um so there is some there is definitely some overlap there i think which is again why it's funny that she's loved by the conservatives even though she hates religion <laughs> right it's okay we've seen the the conservatives actually take a blind eye towards certain things in order to <laughs> exemplify others Yep, couldn't care less, apparently. Um, yeah, so I think that's about it. Uh, Ayn Rand, super fascinating. You could have ended up like her. Thank your moral luck that you didn't. Well, thank uh, your moral luck that you didn't. No, I do every day. Thank one's moral luck, right? Oh, yeah. Thank one's moral luck. Hailed yes. it. Bringing it back around. Cool. 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 We got this. I don't know about you guys, but I am definitely the best version of myself. Okay, so we are uh, renaming our final segment based on some discussion, some feedback, Fred Mastimo, right? So uh, we're going to try this now. We're going to call this segment Making the Void Livable, because really our goal here at the end of uh, all episode long, but really especially at the end of every episode, is to leave you with something that makes the void a little bit more livable. Um, so this week's Make the Void Livable is brought to you by the adorable young children that made Diane Feinstein super frustrated on the internets uh, this past week. Um, for those who aren't familiar, um, a group of schools, uh, you know, young children were um, at the Capitol and we're talking about climate change and diane feinstein basically said well luckily you didn't vote for me i believe was the terminology but yeah like i thought it was hilarious how even the kid the kids actually started saying some things that weren't ignorant which i was pleasantly mm-hmm. surprised right they even said you know well scientists are saying that we have only 12 10 years left to make any change and she's like i've been i've been doing this for over 30 years so you just got to trust me like what that is nothing to like what you're saying is oh i know better than scientists that's basically what came out of her damn mouth yeah it was pretty amazing um folks pointing out that like the idea that these kids have to wait until they can vote to have a voice at that point you know you're already past the point of no return like yeah there was that one young woman who was like 16 and she asked a question and feinstein was like how old are you? And she was like 16. She's like, oh, so you didn't vote for me. <laughs> like, f- fuck you. Yeah. So th- this is why, I mean, whatever you want to say, whatever complicated issues there are about the new group of uh, young Congress individuals like Cortez. Um, you know, I think it's great that they're pushing this Green New Deal stuff. I think that's obviously where the party needs to be going. I think that we need to be talking about this like a serious national emergency, unlike certain things certain borders um oh can i just say this all right relative to this whole border thing right one of this is me trying to steal bot this position right one of the claims that the border wall will do is it will stop things like illegal drugs from crossing the border right i'm trying to steal bot that as best sure sure Uh, when i drove to move into florida i was listening to the radio while i was driving and they caught this boat that was coming not across any border because it's the ocean that had a half a billion dollars worth of heroin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was that that Coast Guard happened to catch and stop mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. right? No yep. big old border fence would have stopped that. Water fence. Water wall. Water world. Is water wall like a wonder wall? Oh. Oh. I mean, yeah. today it's gonna be a day. <laughs> We're gonna throw it back. Why has Christopher Walken ever done a version of that? He would really crush. Wow, wow, we who they? <laughs> what a wall! 
Uh, we diverged quickly from this particular <laughs> living. <laughs> um, yeah, so shout out to the future generation who seem like they are really on top of things. And uh, it's unfortunate for them that they're not going to be able to grasp the levers of power with their tiny hands in time to uh, stop the horrors that are going to be wrought upon their generation by um, us and the previous generations. Yeah. And in the past, we've actually mentioned a few younger people, right? There was that one mm -hmm. girl who uh uh was in that like uh that meeting i can't remember what it was uh there was also that young woman who went up to the polls right and brought a sandwich right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but we've actually talked about a few young people yep yeah so you know i recommend going and watching the video uh it's inspiring and also depressing which makes it perfect void content right there in the sweet spot Yep, but if anything, the the potential hope of that generation growing up and fixing shit, even though it might be too late. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if you didn't know that Diane Feinstein was terrible, like, I'm sorry, I don't know where you've been, but like, it shouldn't come as a huge surprise to you. So it's mostly upside to find out that at least the next generation isn't as terrible as Diane Feinstein. Yeah. <laughs> Optimism. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess Optimism, we will leave it there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a good one we'll call it there yep we would like to thank our new patrons nick super Uper auditory equals moral extra credit tarn somerville fletcher we would like to thank our top patrons jesse rupin and Brenda goodman dave maslick campquest.org 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 now that i know i'm not a clone i can have a normal identity crisis the person who controls the spice controls the void and nick if you would like to become a patron, find us at patreon.com slash embrace the void. As always, remember, you are the void, and the void is you. Mm -hmm.